The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. If you would turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 16, I want to share some thoughts with you this morning. We're going to begin reading here, and I think you'll, you'll pick up on what we're trying to talk about as soon as we get in, in there. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome uh, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him, talking about Jesus and his grave. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? <laughs> These sweet sisters here have gotten together, and they have bought spices, and, and they're, they're really going to do something nice here, okay? Now, I think about this as something similar to putting what we would do now is put flowers on a grave it's something just to show some respect and uh you know show some love admiration whatever the case may be and so they have they have bought these expensive spices they're going to go and they're going to put this on the grave uh or anointed on maybe even the body of jesus they they said who's going to roll away the stone for us? so they wanted to get into the sepulcher and, and put these spices and oils and whatever the case may be sent on, on him. And so the, as they're walking there, they, they forgot one of the biggest details, which was, wait, how are we going to roll away this stone to get in there? All right, so as you know, uh, Jesus' grave was, um, is empty now, but Jesus' grave was essentially um, a cave that had been hewn out of the rock and... They rolled this great stone over it, and, and the uh, Roman officials said, let's put soldiers there to watch it because we don't want anybody. Uh, it, was, it was said that three days later he would, he would rise again. Isn't that interesting that even the, Romans, <laughs> even the Romans remembered that when his own disciples didn't even really remember? He said three days later he would rise again. They didn't want anybody breaking into that tomb, and, and his disciples, his followers being able to say, see, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. So they, they set a watch there. And they've got this great stone over the way. Now there's many times in Scripture where uh, stone, stones are used in a similar context um, to, to mark a, a burial. Of course, we know that we have our graves are, are marked. They're not marked by pieces of wood. Uh, I know I had you know, I had a couple pets die that I made wooden crosses out of, but when we have our graves out here, we have stone. Why is that? Because stone is, is semi-permanent, okay? It'll stand the test of time. Also, in this case, it is heavy, so the wind is not going to blow this away. It is something that one man can't do alone, can't move this stone. And so think about that. As they're approaching unto this place of death, they're separated between them and their loved one, Jesus. I know many of us can relate to having 
a loved one who's already gone on to be with the Lord, and that separation, it's as if a great big stone is rolled in the way. It's something that you aren't capable, you aren't strong enough to roll away. <clears throat> Except, in verse 4, And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. So this is not something that even all of them put together could have rolled away. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white uh, garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about about the tomb of Jesus, okay? It's one of, it's one of the symbols that we have in our faith. We, we've got the cross. It's, isn't that interesting that the cross, which is an instrument of death, has become a symbol for hope and life? Well, only God can do that. We've also got the empty tomb. It is a marker. You know, Jesus isn't like the great men of the faith or even our forefathers of this country or anything like that, or heroes, that we have tombs for them. Jesus doesn't have a tomb, all right? His tomb is empty. They come in and, and the angel says, you see Jesus? He's not here. He is risen. All right, so I want you to think about this as we kind of go through this this morning. I want you to think about that great stone that, that is separating you and your loved ones. That, that great stone that separates us and God even. Um, go with me over to Joshua, book of Joshua. And chapter 10. We see another uh, time in Scripture where we have a, a great big stone that's used. Uh, J- Joshua chapter 10 and verse 16. Now the context here is that uh, Joshua and the Israelites have just had that great big battle where God made the sun stand still. And, and the enemy kings... They, they flee after that battle. And verse 16, this is where we joined them there. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings are found hid in a cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave and set men by it for to keep them. All right, so these are... <laughs> These are not little stones. These are big stones, great stones, uh, so big that it would trap the people inside the cave. All right. So even these five kings, and maybe they had their entourage with them, they weren't able to push it out. All right. They were stuck in there. And of course, then uh, later, uh, when they kind of finished up their skirmishes, Joshua came back um, and uh, executed these kings. And then in verse 26, And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. 
and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth which remain until this very day. You see the permanence of that? They take these men and then they they bury them in this cave similar to Jesus' burial, put in this cave and they roll these great stones over the the mouth of that cave. And they, they even say that which remain until this very day, to the day that it was written, uh, letting you know that this is this is a permanent. Of course, we know death is is uh, at least, as I said before, semi-permanent. Okay. Of course, we know. Thank thank the Lord that because of what He did on the cross and because of His empty grave, we know that death ultimately is not permanent. But it's not something that we can overcome. Okay. You come upon the grave of your loved one, you're, gonna, you're not able to roll away the stone as much as you would like to, as much as you wish that you could help and if you could get all your family members and all of you could combine your might, you're not able to roll away the stone. And so we return again to those sisters uh, in Mark 16 as they're coming up to Jesus and they say, who's going to roll away the stone for us? You know they longed, they longed with everything they had to see their Savior, the one that they loved. They had followed him out in the wilderness for a couple years. Here's, here's their master, and they want that stone rolled away. And and I know that we all have uh, loved ones that we want that stone rolled away for. Um and look, if, if the Lord tarries, if He doesn't come back today or if He doesn't come back uh, soon, we'll have other loved ones that that stone will be rolled over. And, if, and look, if He doesn't come back, <laughs> eventually someday that stone's going to be rolled over my grave. And you know, that may be very discouraging to the world. That may be something that, that uh, people may not be able to understand <laughs> how we could approach and to look at death in the way that we do as primitive Baptists. But here's the truth, okay? We know based on what Jesus has done that, that the moment that you breathe your last, because of, because of His gift to you in the new birth, that new man within you is holy. It is fit for heaven right then. <laughs> now this body isn't, but that new man is. And so when you breathe your last in this life, you wake up to see Him in glory, okay? And, you know, we, all that we know in this life, this is a really downer sort of a sermon, I'm sorry. But all we know in this life is suffering and hardship and heartache. To wake up and to see the God of glory, the God of peace, of goodness, of love, the one who loves you with an everlasting love, to wake up and see Him, that doesn't sound so bad, right? That sounds like something that I'm looking forward to. Now, I'm not looking forward to the process of dying, but the second that you see Him, the second that you wake up and behold His face, 
It, it, it will be more than worth all the, the sufferings you've ever experienced. Now, let's go over to the book of John. John chapter 11. We're going to go to another gravesite here. John 11 uh, and verse... Let's go to verse um, 20, 21. Of course, what's happening here is that Jesus has come to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Now, I just want to pause here for just a second. There was, there was the messenger that came to Jesus. In verse 3 of John 11, they sent a messenger, and, and he said, uh, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold... He whom thou lovest is sick. And the connotation of this messenger who comes to find Jesus, and he says, Behold, the one that thou lovest is sick. It was, it was as if they were questioning Jesus. You know, Jesus is out here and he's healing all these people, these, these people that, that uh, you know, maybe don't have a close relationship to him like Lazarus did. And they say they're just shocked that the one that Jesus loves, the one that Jesus and La they're close, they're shocked that, that Lazarus is sick even unto death. Now, this is something that we've all got to realize, is that you being a child of God, you being a disciple of Christ, doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer problems and suffer affliction. You know, there's this great teaching out there I say great uh, facetiously there is this uh, teaching out there in the world that if you have enough faith that you will be able to not have sickness say you have sickness and you can name it and claim it and you can uh, declare your sickness to go away through faith that health and wealth uh, prosperity gospel and, and what they tell their adherents is that You've got cancer, you've got sickness, you've got enough faith, and you ask the Lord, He'll take it away. And so what ends up happening, inevitably, is when those folks come to God and they ask for Him to heal them and it doesn't happen, well, they, they come and they say, well, I'm not being healed. Well, they say, well, your faith isn't good enough. You're not asking enough faith. And that's just torture, okay? <laughs> that's just not how it works. Jesus himself said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. You're going to have it. It's going to happen. Now, what did he say? Did he say, but walk with me and you won't have any tribulation? No, he says, but be of good cheer. See, that's what the gospel is. It's not that when you, when you become a disciple of Christ and when you're walking that, that, that narrow way... You're walking right that everything's going to be hunky-dory and you're not going to have problems. No, what the gospel is, is that when you're walking with Jesus, 
even though you walk through the fire, even though you walk through the water, He will be with you. Now that's the promise. Now, ask yourself this question. If you're suffering more than you've ever suffered in your life, but Jesus is there with you, is that not worth it? Is that not better even than, than being perfectly healthy and not walking with Jesus? You see, that's the promise. Is that Jesus will be with you in health, in wealth, in poverty, in sickness. That's what the discipleship of Christ, that's what be of good cheer is all about. <laughs> is that the God who made this world, the God that adores you, He will be there with you in the midst of suffering. He'll be there with you in the midst of, of wonderful times like, like uh, Brother David and Sister Bethany are experiencing now with the birth of their child. He'll be with you through uh, sicknesses and, and through whatever the case may be. So they asked Jesus this, this, this messenger and, and uh, uh, Martha here, they can't believe. They can't believe that here they are, they're friends with the Messiah, with God incarnate, and yet they're still experiencing sickness, even experiencing ultimately death. And Jesus says unto her, He says, Thy brother shall rise again. And her response is, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, even, even before the New Testament teaching, the resurrection has always been a doctrine of God. That there's going to be a day when all the wrongs are made right. When, when death... Uh, when death loses its sting, when death is reversed, there's a resurrection day coming. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Remember that the person that you pray to, that Jesus, when you, when you humble yourself in prayer, your prayers are coming through the mediator of Jesus Christ, the person who is the resurrection. He's not just the person who secured it. He is the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. Now look, there's a lot of preaching in those two verses. <laughs> a lot of people would say, you see there, you've got to believe in order, <laughs> in order to be uh, saved. So if you, if you believe in Jesus, then when you die, you, you'll, you'll go to heaven. Well, Yes and no. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, it is proof that there was already life within you to begin with. But let's not discount. That's, that's a primitive Baptist doctrine. We believe that Jesus saves his people from their sins, that your belief is a manifestation of the life that's already within you. But look, let's not discount the power of belief. Okay? Because he also says this, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You think about this. Um, when you wake up, and, and, and maybe, maybe much of the world, I would say probably most everybody in the world, including ourselves from time to time, from time, to time fears things. And we fear death. We fear sickness. You know what happens? <laughs> when you live in that sort of fear, in that sort of environment, you are dying every day. 
You are waking up in fear. He says, if you believe in Jesus the way that we ought to, and we see that He is the resurrection and He is the life, and you believe in that, guess what? That day, you get to live in life, right? And so look, there is a sense in which your belief very much affects your enjoyment of life, okay? It doesn't, it, it, it's not going to make a, a bit of difference as to whether you're going to be in heaven or not. But let me tell you, it's going to make a huge difference as to whether you're tasting heaven now or whether you're living in hell on earth, okay? You want to die every day? You want to live as if you're dying every day? Now, there's a sense in which we ought to realize that that, uh, that country song, Live Like You Are Dying, you know, that's a good thing to do. But look, you ought to live like you're actually alive too, okay? You need to... You need to uh, Embrace the life that Christ has given you. <clears throat> All right, let's fast forward here. Verse 32, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now this is, <laughs> this is the God of life. The God who is the resurrection. This is Jesus who we know, we know that he's about to resurrect Lazarus. But, but even still, he weeps. You see, Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands us. He gets our pain and our suffering. Just because, uh, just because uh, we know that that our loved ones that we will see them again, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. And Jesus knows that. And so, when you're experiencing that hurt, you have got an advocate. You've got your Savior who knows very well the hurt, okay? Here he is. He's he's sitting at the the tomb of his friend. And that great big stone of death has been rolled over that grave and he, even Jesus, wept. He's about to resurrect him. (laughs) Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind and caused that even this man... Uh, not have died. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Just like Jesus' grave. Just like the graves of those kings. And Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Alright. We're getting to a point here where <laughs> Jesus is doing this for Lazarus but I, 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 I trust that you'll see that Jesus has done this for each and every one of us, okay? That there's been that great big stone of separation, that great big stone of death that has been rolled over our tombs. Who's going to roll away the stone? You're not going to do it. You don't have the capability to roll away that stone. You are dead. And yet Jesus comes along and commands that that stone be rolled away. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, 
Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. My grandmother, my mama, she used to have this saying, um, said, you're just like fish, in three days you stink. I don't know if any of you have heard that before. Uh, she used to say it as, as a, uh, a way to say, don't overstay your welcome, okay? Uh, you know, when, when I was uh, courting Meredith, and I would, I would go up there to her house to be with her family as often as I possibly could, my mama and daddy would remind me of mama's saying, you're just like fish in three days you stink. You know, don't overstay your welcome. Well, in this case, Lazarus had been dead four days, okay? So he's, he's worse than a dead fish, okay? Uh, he is stinking. Now that gives us, there's, there's no doubt here, you know, Jesus resurrected that maiden who was, who was uh, as if she was just sleeping, but we know Jesus himself even confirmed it. Okay, she's dead, all right? Everybody was like, but she's not asleep. He's like, okay, she's dead. But remember, to Jesus, it's just as easy to wake somebody up from the dead as it is to wake them up from sleep. So, so he had resurrected uh, that young maiden. He had resurrected uh, the widow's son. And he now is re- resurrecting uh, Lazarus. Now, each of those people were in, in manifesting different states of deadness. I'll say it that way. Now, that maiden who, who looked like she had just nodded off, and then that, 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 that young boy on the funeral uh, beer, he, he was uh, perhaps uh, manifesting a little more uh, deadness than her, but they were both the exact same condition. And then Lazarus here is stinking. Now, us in our natural state, we're dead, okay? We, we have no ability, just like that young maiden, just like that, that uh, young boy, just like Lazarus, we have no ability to ask for Jesus' help in this situation. We can't roll away that stone. And your family or a preacher or anybody can't come along and roll away that stone. Only this man. So... Ultimately, you know what the answer, as those, those sisters asked, who shall roll us away the stone? You know the answer. Jesus will roll away the stone. He's the only one who can. And so he comes up. He commands the stone to be rolled away. And Jesus uh, said unto her in response to her, her uh, fear about his, uh, his state, his deadness, said, uh, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe and that, that thou hast sent me. <clears throat> and when he, had, uh, when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. All right. Lazarus didn't bid him, didn't ask him. Lazarus didn't feel a burden and then come to Jesus. Uh, Lazarus is dead. And that great stone of death has rolled in the way. Jesus, Jesus comes and intercepts you where you are. Okay? Now, that is a... <clears throat> some, uh, some of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ... Who believe that it, it is a 
that you have to accept Jesus in order to be saved, in order to be saved from your sins, uh, it, it may seem to be, a, uh, to be a harmless difference, okay? But look, it's not, okay? Because if it is up to you to, to wake yourself up from the dead and call out to Jesus so that He could then come and give you life, then what's happening there is that you've got a, you've got a conditional relationship. You've got a relationship that only lasts so long as you're doing the right thing. But the beauty of it is that you have an unconditional, loving Father who comes to you even when you have nothing to offer Him, even when you are dead. And He comes to you and says, Come forth. He calls you by name from death to life. Now, that gives me, when I remember that, when I remember that Him choosing us and that Him bringing me life from death, from death to life in this way, and well, not exactly this way, this was a physical manifestation, but in, in bringing me from spiritual death to spiritual life and the way that He did it, when I have times when I'm sinning, when I'm convicted of my sin and Satan comes along and he whispers to me, not audibly, I don't hear Satan whispering to me, okay, but when he comes along to you and he, and he tries to convince you that God doesn't love you anymore, you're not, you, you don't need to go to church. You're not worthy to come into that place and to worship Him because you've sinned. <laughs> and then I remember that it was, it was not because of my goodness that He gave me life to begin with. It was because of His goodness and His love, His unconditional love. You see, if, you, if you've got a, a doctrine that says, that it is that you have to do something to set in motion the love of God for you. Then what comfort do you have in those times when you are you're at fault, when you're sinning? And I I believe that that doctrine is ultimately why we have seen so many of my generation just leaving, leaving Christianity, leaving the church, is because you've got this different view of who God is. It's ultimately a different God that you're worshiping. You're worshiping a God who's like us, who while you're being good, I'll be good to you. But once you start being bad, I'm going to be bad to you, right? And that is not who your God is. Your God is the God of unconditional love. And so, um, he cries out to Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And when he was, uh, he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about uh, with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now we've preached on that before, and I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, you know, verse 44, and, and you know, just because you're made alive in Christ in the new birth, doesn't mean that you're, you're necessarily going to immediately be useful, okay? As Lazarus came out of that grave, he still had grave clothes on him. And so that's a part of what we're doing today, okay? That's a part of what we're doing in your active discipleship of God is that although your flesh and the devil and Satan and, and his minions, whatever the case may be in this world, they want you to go back into that grave 
to put those grave clothes back on and live as if you were dead, even though you're not. But what we're doing today is we're coming and we're worshiping our God and we're reminding each other, hey, look, you're not dead, okay? So take those grave clothes off and live like you're alive. Now, let's go... um, Let's go to John chapter 5 really quickly. All right, so in in talking about this great stone that that, uh, we're asking, who's going to roll away this stone? We're really, really talking about several different things, okay? And so... In a sense, we're talking about like we just talked about with Lazarus and the, and the application that we made to the spiritual deadness and, and God um, awaking you and, and, and resurrecting you from death into life in new birth. All right, so that's one big stone that he's rolled away, <laughs> that stone from the grave of your spiritual death and bringing you to life. And there's also, we also see this in Lazarus and that account. We also have that stone of, of the literal grave. And what we began talking about, which many of our family members are, are in that condition, that maybe um, they are there in heaven with God, but their bodies are in the ground. And so there's a stone rolled over their grave that we know that only Jesus can roll that stone away. And, and in, verse, in John chapter 5, we see both of those. See, in, in uh, 5 and 25, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now, which stone is this talking about rolling away? This is talking about your spiritual deadness, that Jesus is going to come to you, that not he's not going to send an angel, he's not going to send a preacher, he is going to come himself to your grave, the grave of your spiritual deadness, and call you from death to life. How do we know that that's talking about that? It's because he says the hour is coming and now is. This is not some. This is not something that we're waiting to have happen. This is something that was already happening. This is already happening. And then uh, we read here. Read on. Um, In verse 28, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. So some future time. This wasn't something that was coming and now is like the first one. This is something that's still coming. It says, For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. All right, so there's, there is a resurrection coming. This is going to ultimately be when Jesus comes and He takes care of that big stone that's rolled in the way, that stone of death. Now, He's already paid the price to win the victory over death, but we still see the effects of it, okay? It won't be until that resurrection day <laughs> that, that death is finally, completely undone, Okay? So that's, a, that's a, a moment when Jesus is going to roll away that stone. Now notice this. I've got to unpack this just a bit. 
He says in verse 29, this is, And they all shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now remember this. There was, there was Jesus taught about this, um, about <laughs> the works that, that his people have done when he, when he would separate his sheep from the goats. And, and remember, their question was, but when, when have we done these things to you, Jesus? And he says, even as you've done unto the least of these. See, they got credit for a lot of things. <laughs> uh, the sheep got credit for a lot of things there that they weren't necessarily even doing. Now, we know that it's not of your good works that gets you in the position of being his sheep or being resurrected unto life instead of unto death. It's ultimately the good works of Jesus Christ. That always bothered me growing up, this great white throne judgment, right? (laughs) You know, the the end times doctrine as I grew up, um, Presbyterian, was a terrifying thing, okay? Uh, Because, you know, (laughs) you've got everybody's going to have to answer for the things that they've done, for the good, for the bad. And I always would just sort of scratch my head and think, but I thought it was of grace that we were saved and not of our works. You see, what's ultimately going to (laughs) happen, I believe that that great white throne judgment (laughs) is essentially going to be the sheep coming before Jesus and us being judged in the goodness of Christ, right? I mean, that's, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. As He died for your sins, taking on your filth, taking on your sins, and what happened to His righteousness? It was put onto you. Man, isn't that amazing? That as you stand before the God of justice, the God of glory, you stand before Him righteous, justified, just as if you've never sinned. Now that is, that is an unconditional loving God who's going to come one day and roll away the stone of death from your grave. Now, let's go to uh, Matthew 27. Um, and we are, we are beginning our descent. Okay? So, seatbelts on. We're beginning our descent. Uh, very soon coming into landing. Matthew 27. In verse 52, this is another um, beautiful example of that stone being rolled away. Of course, this is at the crucifixion. This is at that point when when I feel as if the world and, and the devil, they were so excited. They had him. They, they had him on a cross. And yet, what does he do when he gives up that ghost? In verse, uh, verse 50. And then, and when he had cried again with a loud voice, and we know from one of the other Gospels, what did he cry out with that loud voice? It is finished. It was done. He yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. You know, that stone, or in that instance, that veil of separation is, is in between us and God. 
That, that veil was always a place within that holy of holies, within that thick veil, where God would come down in, in, in presence. He would be there with Israel. And only the high priest, only the high priest could go in once a year to be there in the presence of God, and he had to do it just so, right? He had to do it just perfectly, or God would strike him dead in there. But look at the significance and the beauty of when Jesus, your Savior, your, your sacrificial lamb, he bleeds out, he gives up the ghost, and that veil is ripped. Now all of a sudden you have access to the very presence of God, even though you're a sinner, even though you are broken, that you can come before Him in the beauty and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and have access to Him. You don't have to have uh, a priest go in for you. Jesus Christ is your high priest and He is there in the presence of God right now praying for you. Look, I hope that y'all pray for me. I pray for you. But Jesus, even Jesus is praying for you right now in ways and groanings and in, in, in ways in which I could never pray for you. So he rolled away that great stone. But then as if that wasn't enough of a fireworks show. What does he do? And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now imagine you're sitting down for Sunday lunch, and uh, you get a knock on the door, and it's your loved one. It's your loved one that passed years ago. And they showed up at your door, right? You know, I, 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 I probably, some of us would, would probably think, I'm going crazy. I've lost my mind, you know? <laughs> but i tell you what it does do. Is it, it is a huge slap in the face to our enemy death, is it not? <laughs> we sing that song, I can't even remember the name of it now. It's talking about, Oh, up from the grave he arose. Jesus, my Savior. It says in one verse, death cannot keep its prey. <laughs> you know, death is like that, that little cat that pounces on the mice but can't keep it, right? <laughs> that's, that's what death is. We view it as such a monster, and it is. But in comparison to the power and the glory of God, death cannot hold its prey, <laughs> He couldn't hold Jesus in the grave, and He won't hold you in the grave. See, that stone is going to be fully and finally completely rolled away. Hosea chapter 13. The book of Hosea. You know, the book of Hosea doesn't really get a lot of uh, usage in sermons, but I do love this passage uh, here, and you're going to recognize it. The book of Hosea. I gotta I gotta dig it up here. Okay. <clears throat> Chapter 13, and we're still coming in for a landing, okay? I haven't forgotten. 
and verse uh, 14, it says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. <laughs> All right, so this is God. This is God, and in, in, in <laughs> He is calling out His enemy death. All right? He's saying, Death, I'm going to be your plagues. Grave, I'm going to be your destruction. <laughs> now, this is a, this is a, a prophecy of a showdown that's coming. Now we all we, we see that Jesus on the cross secured that victory, won the victory on the cross, and was a first fruits when he rose from the grave. He was an example to us of what's going to happen to you. <laughs> that even though your body may be torn apart, <laughs> even though you may you may decay in the grave, that that body is something that has been purchased by God, okay? And you will come up from that grave. You will be resurrected by the power of God. Now, last, last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It, it uh, mentions that passage in uh, Hosea. And verse, uh, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Amen. That sounds good. What he's saying here is, it's not every one of God's children uh, is going to uh, sleep. Now, sleep here meaning uh, death, okay? And the physical death, all right? Now, we know, we know that when somebody dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Okay? So we're not talking about sleeping in the grave waiting on the resurrection day. When, when you die, that, that, that um, new man within you is fit for heaven. It goes to be with God instantly. Uh, but your body, your body is something that Jesus also purchased, okay? And he will resurrect it and glorify it. All of us will be changed, all right? Maybe... Maybe, hopefully, we're here when the Lord comes back. In an instant, we're going to be changed. He says, um, Behold, I show you a mystery. We just read that. In a moment, verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. <laughs> I love that word, incorruptible. You see, when Lazarus, you know, Physically, when Lazarus was resurrected, uh, he was resurrected and he still had a corruptible body, okay? That meant that he would ultimately die again. But you're going to be resurrected on that day. Or if, if the Lord comes back, <laughs> he will make you incorruptible in an instant. But you will be incorruptible. What does that mean? That means that you are no longer capable of dying. You're no longer capable of sinning and experiencing all the problems that we all experience in life. Even so, Lord, come quickly, <laughs> right? You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching my, my 
son grow up. I'm looking forward to hopefully us having some more children. I'm looking forward to those things in life. But, but listen, I, I, I'm, no longer, I'm no longer asking the Lord to, Lord, please just let us have, you know, have this time. I want to see Him, right? I want to see Him. I don't want to have to go through all the things that we go through in this life, but I'll, I'll be here as long as the Lord gives me breath to be of service. But, but I, I'm excited about that day. And, and then we, let's continue, let's finish this. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talk about rolling away the stone. That stone that we can't, we can't move it, we can't shake it. But Jesus Christ is coming to roll away that stone from your grave, the graves of your loved ones. Then shall be brought to pass that saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Uh, look, so on, on McCool Farms where, uh, where me and, and Brother Asher live, somewhere there is a snake on the loose that has only one fang, okay? Now it's a long story, but the short version of it is that Brother Asher's mother is out watering some plants or doing something, and, uh, you know, she, she thought that she just got, you know, a thorn or something, hit a thorn. Yeah, no, she had a, a snake's fang sticking out of her leg. She got bit by what they think was a moccasin, okay? Never found the snake, but somewhere, <laughs> somewhere there is a snake crawling around that has only one fang, okay? So think about this. Think about this. Death, one day, is going to be a fangless snake, okay? It's going to have lost its sting. It's no longer going to be able to inflict that pain on you. I think about Sister Tracy every time I read this now. I can't, I can't stop it. Well, what a good day. What a good day. That thing that we all fear, that thing that is our worst enemy, is no longer going to be able to inflict any damage on us. <laughs> where is thy sting? And no grave, where is thy victory? You know, that's one of the things that no matter who you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter if you're a marathon runner, look, I'm not a marathon runner, okay? I absolutely hate running, okay? I hate it. I hate, as a matter of fact, I hate any kind of discomfort, okay? So why would I run, you know? I need to. I, I, I hit 30 this week, and so I, I've heard it's all downhill from here. So I'm going to try to start running, but I hate it, okay? But you take me, you take a marathon runner, you take, you take somebody who's in poor health, whatever the case may be, you know what we all have in common? It doesn't matter how healthy you are. The grave is coming for you. The grave always wins. It's like, it's, you know, death and taxes is the only thing that we know for sure is going to happen. <laughs> Except this, 
that grave, that grave that thinks it's so big and bad and it's got the victory over all of us, right? That grave one day is going to be the loser, right? Jesus Christ will be the ultimate victor. Life will win in the end. And so we need to modify that statement, okay? The only two things sure in life is not death and taxes, but it's the resurrection and taxes, okay? Because death is going to be done, all right? So taxes, we'll have that until the Lord comes back. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so what do we do then? All right, our landing gear's down. We're, we're right there, okay? What do we do in response to that beautiful message, that gospel message that death is about to be put out of business? Well, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, you know, we're all guilty. I'm guilty. I've done this so much. Where you, you look at what's going on in the world and, and you allow that to discourage you and you say, well, what are we even doing this for? You know, why am I getting up on a Sunday morning when, you know, baby's been screaming all night? You know, what I really want to do is I just want to be in bed or whatever the case may be. Why do we do this? You know, sometimes you can convince yourself or maybe Satan or somebody that works for him can convince you that it's all in vain. Why do you do this when the world is going, it's going so poorly anyway? Well, why do you do it? It's because you know, you know that victory is on its way. You know that victory is coming and that Jesus Christ has already paid for it. He's already secured it on the cross. It's just a matter of delivery, of it being delivered. And it's coming. And so even when it looks like it is, it is dreary and hopeless, you have victory. You already have it. And so... What should we do in the midst of this dark world, in this midst of this world of death and darkness and sin and discouragement? Be steadfast, unmoving. Not because you're some great person, not because you're strong, but because your God loved you enough and still loves you that He would, that he would take on your sins and your problems, that He would... Lay aside the glory of heaven and come down and take your spot in the grave so that you might be victorious even though you deserve to be defeated. Now, I hope and I pray that we might be able to be steadfast people in the midst of a dark world. I hope that's an encouragement to you. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.